Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, is Australian television dead? The ratings that will scare TV executives around the country. Bo Ryan reveals his extraordinary pay packet, but is he telling the truth? And Normie Rowe reveals a new twist in that infamous fight with Ron Casey on The Midday Show. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello and welcome to TV Black Box. Coming from the McKnight Tonight Studios, which are currently under renovation, there are buzz saws and chainsaws going off everywhere. So this is going to be a fun record, but I am joined by some great people who will make this an absolute pleasure. And we start with the delightful, the ever delightful, Sarah Monaghan. Hello, Sarah. Hello. I'd like to thank everybody for allowing us to be a day late because it was Valentine's Day yesterday in America (laughs) and you guys are a day ahead. So it was not a thing for you, but it was for me and I very much appreciate it. Well, we might end up doing this as a Tuesday thing because otherwise you have to record on Sunday nights and I know what your weekends are like, Sarah. Yes, Key West is very much about (laughs) Sunday fun day. Indeed. Also joining us is Aaron Ryan from TV Black Box. Hello, Aaron. Hello, and it gave us, the rest of us in Australia, an extra day for a Valentine's Day hangover day. So thank you so much, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) And industry stalwart Rod Morris is with us. Hello, Rod. Hey, Rob. Hello, everybody. Oh, you're excited today. Yeah, well, it's a lovely Tuesday morning here uh, on the Gold Coast. It is indeed. It is indeed. But enough of that. Let's get into the news stories of the week because there's a lot to talk about. And seriously, hang around for that interview with Normie Rowe because this is an angle about that midday punch-up I have never heard before. So it's very interesting. But first, week two of the ratings has cast doubt on the future of free-to-air television with the highest-rated premiere show of Sunday night, The Amazing Race, only pulling in 564,000 viewers. While 10 succeeded in winning the time slot with this figure, they were fourth in the primary share with just 12.8%, behind 9 at number 1 with 21, 7 at 2 with 18.3, and the ABC came in third with 13.3. 7's Holy Moly came third in its time slot with just 510,000 viewers, and Qual Farm taking out the number 2 spot with 530,000. Aaron... When the highest rating show is pulling just 564,000, and that's entertainment program, we know that news always does better, but that skews much older. There's a problem here, isn't there? Look, to answer the question directly, is Australian TV dead? I would say no to Australian TV being dead. I would say that Australian TV has evolved. I mean, growing up in Perth, we did not even have Channel 10 until 1988. So at the time, obviously, 7, 9 and 10, they were the biggest stations, the biggest deal, was the only 
form of entertainment you could have at home. Now even Australian TV competes with itself by having BVOD and multi-channels, let alone you know its competitors. So Channel 7 still made a you know a net profit of 110 million last financial year. It's not dead. It's just changing. That's an interesting point. And look, we'll get to the seven figures a little later in this episode. But when I see figures like 564,000 as the number one show, we are only focused on, you know, the 7.30 time slot or we're not, programmers are. I do get worried about the future, Rod, because... Uh, where can this go? The digital revenues are not matching what they can get on free-to-air television, but they're losing that audience. Yeah, well, the um, last week we talked about how the old days, you know, we always had to get a million at, the, at that 7 or 7.30 time spot. And, you know, jokingly, 900 became the new million, then 800. So it would appear now that 500 is the the new million. It's, 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 it seems to be all they can they can get there. Whether free-to-air TV is dead, I think it's just going to, you know, people talk about staying in your lane. I think the only lanes they can continue ahead in will be news, cheap studio programming and, and cheap reality. And mm-hmm. I mean things like Gogglebox, smart, cheap programming, not dumb, cheap programming, and maybe obscure sports. And I say obscure sports because, you know, the uh, likes of Stan or whatever, they're going to cherry pick whatever sports mm. have got some eyeballs. And I just don't think they're going to have the dollars to compete to pick up the big sports anymore. So, you know, that's all they're going to have. And if you look at the number of hours these days that are news or current affairs, like, you know, it starts at 5am and goes right through to basically 7. You know, you've got a bit of programming through the day when no one's looking anyway, or there's very few eyeballs. But I think that's that's just going to be it. News, cheap studio, cheap reality and obscure sports. That's the future of free-to-air. I, I think you've got some validation in that. One of the things that stands out to me is Seven's Big Hope of Holy Moly launched to almost a million viewers. Amazing launch. The promos did their job. The concept did its job. But the show hasn't held... Has that been a case of, we heard Andrew Backwell say last week on TV tonight that they have to make it 90 minutes to make it cost effective and because they can't get people to tune in at unless they do try and get the 90 minute show because the other programs on other networks are running 90 minute shows. But has that killed the golden goose? I, I really believe Holy Moly was a good show. I I loved the first episode. Um, I didn't think I would. I literally just put it on for a couple of seconds. So I'll, I'll always check something out and watch it for 30 seconds. I was hooked like that. But mm. after three episodes, I was bored. It felt like I was watching the same gag over and mm. over again. It'd be like going to see a, a stand-up comic. And it's like, well, I know this routine. So, yeah, whether it's got legs, well, for me it didn't. I, I got lost interest in it pretty quickly. But people want the water cooler moment, so it's got to launch big because it was promoted. Everyone wants to be there live to watch it. But after they've watched the first episode, it's actually not necessary to watch it on free-to-air TV the next night at 7.30. You can actually watch it during the day, at night time. I mean, I've watched all the subsequent episodes, but none of them live because um, it just hasn't suited me to watch it live. What are the time-shifted numbers like? I must admit I haven't looked at those. I think that it doesn't really matter whether TV is good or not. I think the bigger problem is when you've got all of these on-demand things and all the cable networks and, like, you've got YouTube, you've got all of these different apps where you can watch what you want when you want. It's very old school to be saying you can only watch this at 7.30 at night and people now have different social lives. They don't all sit around the telly anymore. And I think 
it's just it's too easy to not watch it live, especially with commercials. Because if I can go onto an app and do a catch up or watch something and you know fast forward through the commercials or not have commercials at all, why am I going to be locked into a watching a TV show at seven thirty at night on a Monday with commercials when I can watch it at my own leisure later on during the week? commercial free like to me that's because the you want to problem. take part in the conversation and that's the power television has no other medium can get as big as audience at one point watching the same thing you know uh Foxtel can talk about a combined audiences across all their channels. Digital services can talk about the views over a course of time. But what you have with free-to-air television is the unique ability to get one big chunk of the population watching the same thing at the same time. That's the power they have. How do they evolve to compete with the streaming services comes down to what you're saying and that's the challenge they're still not grappling with. The only ones really doing it are nine through Stan. See, I think for something like Game of Thrones, yes, I can understand watching it because so many people are watching it, there's spoilers and all that stuff. But for something simple like Neighbours or Home and Away or Holy Moly or even Dancing with the Stars, like I give zero, like, thoughts about like uh, whether I need to have that water cooler moment especially since now we don't have a water cooler because nobody's at work everyone's at home <laughs> good point you know we don't, you don't have get the water to cooler we have twitter yeah but you know you can just avoid that if you really want to if you don't want the spoiler absolutely Sarah news and sport it's really the only thing that you need to watch live isn't it pretty much Mm. Well, today colleagues of esteemed Today Show producer Tom Nickel are said to be in shock after allegations of sexual assault for which he's been charged. Steve Burling, today's executive producer, in an email encouraged staff to seek Nine's Employment Assistance Program if they had any concerns. Nickel denies the charges and is set to defend them but has been placed on forced leave from the show. Sarah, we don't know the details of this case and as far as I'm concerned, it needs to go through the courts and to find his guilt or innocence. So we're not going to cast judgment on that. But what is interesting, and this comes up again and again, is when somebody is charged and, and the reason the entertainment industry gets so much publicity around this, this happens in workplaces all across the country and around the world, but obviously when it's media it becomes sexy and it's the Today Show and all that kind of stuff. But where, what does the employer do? Do they let the person continue in their job until they've had their day in court and if they're found guilty all bets are off, you know, fair enough, or do they put them on indefinitely with pay without pay, what should an employer do before the person's had the chance to defend themselves in a court of law? Well, it seems like we're having one of these every week now in Australia. Mm. Um, And so I guess we'll learn as we go what the best thing is. But um, I think the biggest problem is, is even if you're waiting till the day in court, if it comes out that they did do it, then you've had all that time where they've been on air and maybe they shouldn't have been because now it's known that they did something. And it sucks for people who are innocent and, you know, who were unfairly accused or, you know, but sometimes just because someone's found not guilty doesn't mean they didn't do it either. So that, I think That's it's, true, it's, but it is our it's, it's court a, of law. It's a that very, is our judicial system. If you're innocent, you're innocent. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But in the public eye, you're not. And that's the thing is if you're in a regular workplace, you could probably keep going. But when you're in the public eye and everyone knows what you've been 
you know, accused of, um, then it's it, it's hard because if, if, if it turns out you did do it and then you've also got to think about, you know, all of the people, you know, like in my case where there was 18 of us who accused Robert and, you know, if he had been on air at the time, we would all have to keep watching him on air. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be a trial and error and I think uh, every week we're going to be hearing something about a new person because people are no longer scared to speak up and we'll just we'll have to learn as we go what the best option is. There, there is a difference when there's 18 people, like in your case. Here we have a one-on-one scenario that is murky and I, I've got to say, I think... It is fair for Channel 9 to keep paying him, if indeed they are, while he's on indefinite leave. I think it would be unfair for him to lose his job before he's had his day in court, before a judge has decided his guilt or innocence. Well, it's like if if you're a cop and you shoot someone, you know, whether you did it maliciously or not, you are put on administrative leave with pay until they work out what happened. And I think that's probably the best thing is you put someone on leave with pay because it's not fair that someone should, you know, not be able to pay their bills if they're innocent. Um, So, yeah, put them on administrative leave with pay until you work out. But, you know, how long does a court case take? It might be four years before that happens. So do you keep paying them for that long? I mean, it's it's just it's all so hard and it sucks for everybody. I I don't know. That's a tough question. But once again, if the person is innocent, you know, this is very, very murky. And I don't know the full solution here and I don't know if any of us do. But, you know, we do have a process here where people are innocent until proven guilty. Actually, just if I can throw out a question there, has there ever been a a, a case or has there been a a precedent where someone who's been found innocent, been treated guilty all the way and then gone for compensation later? Uh, Jeffrey Rush, um, the oh, guy yeah. from Neighbours, uh, Craig yeah. McLaughlin. They're defamation proceedings, but they yeah. haven't sued the employer. And and you look at Craig McLaughlin, Seven let him go when the charges were laid against him, uh, when the allegations came out, and in the court of law he was found not guilty. So would he then have recourse for suing Seven and saying, well, hang on, you cancelled me when I was innocent here? It's, you know, there are clauses in contracts about bringing the company into disrepute. So, you know, with some of the allegations about what was going on outside of the, in this case, the sexual assault, there, there's always probably some course against the bringing the company into disrepute line. I think it's also um, not just whether you're found, like even if you didn't do it, but there was... It's, it's not whether you did it or not. It's if you brought shame to your employer, which is in any job, if you do something like if you tweet something like, you know, that people disagree with and you're cancelled now. So I don't think it's just sexual assault or any kind of assault anymore. I think, you know, if you if you if you say anything or do anything in this day and age that makes reflects poorly upon your employer, the employer is going to take action against you. Yeah, look, it's very difficult and I'm not going to criticise Nine for their handling of this because I just think it's a really difficult situation and I don't know what I would do in the same situation and, you know, I'm just keen to let justice take its course one way or the other. Well, former rugby league player and now host of Tens The Amazing Race Australia has revealed just how much he was paid for the gig. Here's Bo Ryan talking on the Carl and Jackie O Show. 
Yeah. And what do you look at that with amazing race and go, how long am I? Yeah, how long am I away for? Three months? Three months, yeah. Two how and much did months. you get for that? Uh, $800. $800? That's amazing. That's better than the job start allowance. Now, this is interesting because this has since been reported that he got $800,000, that Carl was making a joke about eight hundred. I've got to say, Rod, $800,000 for a short-run series does not seem believable to me. This would have to be a multi-year deal. It would have to be a part of a bigger talent deal with the network, wouldn't it? It's, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and in, in the environment we're in now where production budgets, like, you know, in Channel 7's announcement that, you know, they've, they've been profitable the last six months of last year and they're going to be cutting more costs, to be throwing, and it, it, if it's 12 episodes again, that's $66.6 thousand dollars an episode. It's like, God, I'd like to know what the, the revenue is. You know, we look at how the production values and the, the quality of the programs are going down. Well, if you're throwing that sort of money at talent for just 12 episodes, Episodes, yeah, there's got to be more to it than that, I would hope. But if not, if he's got a bloody good manager acting on his behalf, <laughs> if he's if he's really got him 800k for 12 eps of amazing race, I think wow. that sounds like a perfectly reasonable amount for being gone for eight months, uh, for three months. Like if you're if you're gone away for that long and you are not coming home, you're traveling all over the world. I mean, that would be a pittance pay in America for somebody to do the same job. We're not in America now. Absolutely. We're not, we're not in America. That's like trying to com- compare Tom Brady's salary with Bo Ryan's football salary, you know, diff- different markets. But it's, it, keep in mind, this whole series was shot in Australia. And actually just on that, I, I look at, you know, it, the whole thing about, you know, is TV dying. Amazing Race started as a Jerry Bruckheimer production 20 years ago, and it was amazing. It had Jerry Bruckheimer mm. production values. I watched a bit of um, a few episodes of Amazing Race Australia, and I'm sorry, it's not amazing. Like, there was a scene where there's two <laughs> girls sitting on the back of a boat eating some prawn. Oh, isn't this wonderful? I'm thinking, my holiday videos are better than what they're doing. It's like, it's not the Amazing Race. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Let me go on a tangent for a moment because one of the most hilarious things I saw was them trying to build tension up the other day. And these girls were swimming in this lake and they're doing big drone shots and there's nothing in this lake at all. And they kept cutting to stock footage of an alligator or a croc, I don't know what it was, to like try and add drama like the croc's going to get them. And then seriously, you'd see this drone shot and she's just there swimming nice and easy, not not a care in the world. And there's literally nothing, nothing in this lake. And you know that there's no way she's not in an open lake. And this was manufactured bullshit. This yeah. was manufactured drama and it seriously it was like a comedy piss take. It would yeah. be something the comedy company or Full Frontal would do if they were doing a piss take of a reality show where they kept cutting to Godzilla or something like that, you know. Oh, Godzilla's going to come and get you if you don't get out of this lake in time. It was woeful. And, and here's the thing, Aaron, that Bo Ryan is essentially getting a dollar fifty for every viewer watching that show. <laughs> <laughs> it, it always amazes me when, when you know, someone gets paid twenty million dollars or whatever to do a movie, or someone gets ten million dollars for winning a tennis match. But I guess it depends on the pool of money. Um, if the movie company is, ma- is making five hundred million, then paying twenty million dollars to the to the actor seems reasonable. It just seems like what you said, though, Robert, the start personally of what we know about Aussie actors, presenters, what they're getting paid, 
$800,000 for one person for the amazing race, there has to be some sort of multi-deal in this or something because that is actually huge. Think of how much, like, Shane Warne got for I'm a Celebrity. I mean, whether that that was was real or not. I I don't mean to be rude to Bo because I actually think he's very, very good in this and and some of the hosting bits he's done on Studio 10 have been fantastic and I hear him on Carl and Jackie O. He's, He's really, really good. But... He's not Shane Warne. He's not bringing in an audience like Shane Warne has the potential to do. Shane Warne was complete stunt casting and totally worth it. He wasn't going to do that show for anything less. I reckon you can get Bo Ryan for less than $800,000 a year. I don't believe that he is getting more, you know, the, the, the hosts of the project would be getting just over half of that for working 46 weeks a year. Uh, you know, like... There's something something doesn't add up to me in this. In every budget I've seen, and look, we know MasterChef judges completely got about a million dollars for their short run, but that was after a lot of years of success. They had become this brand, you know, and ultimately they priced themselves out of the role. So I, I just I just can't believe this is a one year one show deal. Well, I say power to him if he got it. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if he or his management could convince him of that, it's like, who the hell wrote the check at... Yeah, I want that agent. Have that agent call me. Absolutely. Actually, just on that, and the whole thing about us making, you know, trying to make these big global franchises like the Amazing Race but not making it look so amazing. To me, the future for this, and this just isn't Australia, um, like the thing about Shane Warne being in I'm a Celebrity... You know, he's got appeal in the UK. People in the UK would have been interested to see what was going on there. Just like the UK love love, love, love Island Australia. You yeah. know, so if it can travel, excellent. But Bo Ryan, um, to me, <laughs> the for, formats like that, like, do you guys remember Fear Factor? Yes. Uh, which, about 20 years ago, uh, the US version was one of NBC's top rating primetime shows, had Joe Rogan hosting it. Mm-hmm. Well, they brought that format here and I I wasn't working on that officially I was working very closely with the team that was working on that though in Melbourne in the states at the time they had a budget of two million dollars an episode they had Joe Rogan good talent hosting it well they brought it here they're trying to make it for two hundred fifty thousand dollars an episode Mm. and it looked like it. it was terrible and it was like I think Mr. Packer himself pulled it off the air after three weeks because, um, you know, where where Fear Factor would be having these stunts, you know, like bungee jumping between helicopters and things, you know, our poor production team here, the, the highlight of one of their episodes was eating... Uh, Bull's testicles. And I think it was Packer said, get that off my network and I don't want that shit at 7.30 while people are having dinner. And it lasted three episodes. In fairness, Australians didn't have the mindset to go big on reality TV or even drama. David Gingell changed that when he took a $20 million punt on The Voice and put that production budget into it. And now shows like that are on a $20 million budget and and $30 million budget like I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here has been. Um, And... So we have changed our approach to that. But, yeah, I think we've all agreed that, Bo, some, we're not getting the full story there, I think is what we're all saying. <laughs> Just something else related to that. What I, what I think they should do with those sort of formats, like Fear Factor or, or 
uh, amazing race. It should be a global thing instead of little territories trying to make their own mm. version. Have you guys seen um, a thing on uh, Netflix called Ultimate Beastmaster? Sylvester Stallone's one of the EPs, but basically just adds his head to the front of it. It's basically uh, a f- version of Ninja Warrior, but they have contestants from all around the world. There's the Japanese team, the American team, the Australian team, but they also have their own commentary teams there. And you'll have the, the it's got a little commentary booth with the Australian team, the Japanese, the South African, and it's a global competition. So, so to it's me, like Eurovision, but, but Ninja Warrior. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, great analogy. Exactly. It's a great analogy. To me, those formats, that's what they should be doing. Instead of yeah, these tiny little territories all around the world, they should pool the resources and have the Germans and the Japanese versus the Australian and do an amazing race, not running around the Gold Coast and eating prawns on the back of a ferry sort of thing. Yeah. Well, now to the story we've been alluding to this whole podcast, because it's good news for Seven, with Seven West Media reporting a net profit of $116.4 million for the first half year ending on the 26th of December. Its debt has been slashed by 42% and they're said to be in a significantly improved financial position. This is all despite the group's revenue being down 9.9% due to lower TV revenue share and the impacts made by COVID-19. CEO James Warburton confirmed the media company's cost savings program is on track, which was targeted at $170 million. Now, Aaron, we were just talking about Seven's good position. This isn't down to revenue. This is down to cost savings, which, well done, Seven. They've made some pretty tough financial decisions. Do you think we'll see more cost cutting? Will it get to the extent 10 did, where we see a raft of famous faces going? Oh, there's always going to be some more cost-cutting. Look, I think there's the business reality of the situation and the personal answer. Uh, we all know people that have actually lost their jobs at 7, 9 and 10 due to re- uh, redundancies. It's actually sickening. In some areas, the whole department is almost depleted. Um, um, but as we said, this is the way TV is evolving. There's that much competition. It, it can't survive the way that it used to. So, unfortunately, the reality is that 7 is making... I hate saying this, but they're making good business decisions that will keep the company afloat um, with some profit, even during COVID, um, and they're able to survive, you know, the, hopefully they're able to survive all, all of this uh, job losses, and that's that's what they're doing. They're, they're surviving. Um, but you are seeing also more people getting hired in other areas. You see a lot more production companies, you know, hiring people, CEOs of this company and that company. So there are some job movements, but... Seven, I think, is doing what they need to do, and they're obviously doing it very well. Look, Rod, they are doing what they need to do. Let's remember they sold off Seven Studios. So owning content is going to be a big part of the future. This is a short-term strategy that may just give them the breathing space. Um, Survival is key at the moment. But really, as we head into a streaming world, owning your content is the key, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. And, like, there's only so much of the farm you can sell off and there's nothing left to sell. So, yeah, congratulations to them for making this this period profitable. Um, but, yeah, if you just keep selling off or, you know, d- diminishing the assets, what do you got left mm. besides the brand? And as more and more people are going direct to the source for, for getting the content, be it HBO or, you know, wh- wherever the content's coming from, unless you've got something longer term, what what, what do you have left? Moving on. And the news media bargaining code is still a contentious issue between publishers and big tech, but now Seven has signed up for Google Showcase, the tech giant's preferred way to pay publishers for news content. Seven had previously been critical of Google and Facebook's unwillingness to negotiate fair agreements. Sarah, 
Do you think Google has targeted Seven because Nine owns newspapers and has been very critical of Google? Seven uh, getting that money in the bank. I'm still confused by this whole thing. I get that there's like a thing about like uh, Google uses things and they're threatening to shut down search. And I still don't understand how it all works together. And like, I just like, I, I was trying to explain it to my husband because you had talked about it. And both of us were just like, I don't like, it just doesn't well, make sense. The upshot is Australian media goes, all the revenue is now going to Google. They should give us money to keep doing our business basically. And the publishers will make the claim that, um, well, Google uses our content to drive their business. Well, you know, it's sort of like the Uber driver having to pay the hotel they're dropping off customers to. You know, the customer gets an Uber to get to a destination. A user goes to Google to get to a destination. But then the Uber driver doesn't pay the hotel to drop them off there. But that, to me, is what Australian publishers and broadcasters are asking Google to do. Yes, you're driving traffic to our website, but we want you to pay for that privilege. Um, I know there's a lot of people in the industry that will disagree with me on that. I've just had this confusion and a lot of people have tried to speak to me a lot of people have reached out and they've made the point that there are times where google will take information from the websites like if you type in how old is eddie mcguire you will get a result that doesn't take you to a web page yeah it just does the little link down algorithm to yeah so i actually buy that i think that's fair and i think that would be an easy switch for google to turn off you want that information click on the website you know like i think that's completely fair argument but you know publishers are definitely using google to drive traffic to their websites aren't they aaron yeah sorry i'm like sarah it's it's just so confusing i mean when you put up the argument and you put up the start you know that's quite convincing and then what, what Google are saying are convincing and what Seven and the networks are saying are also quite convincing. I'm not quite sure where that lands. So you're saying that, the sure that company is quite good. <laughs> well, and when you work in yachting, sometimes we take a boat to a marina to pick up customers and the, the marina charges you a docking fee, a pickup fee, like $75 to pick customers. Okay, even so if you're, you're just in the Google up. method. So, so you're, what's happening to you is what the publishers are saying. Yeah, I mean, I think it's crap because half the time it's from like a marina <laughs> where the people are members of to start with and they're already paying, you know, 50 grand a year to be members. But when I come to pick them up on a yacht, I'm supposed to hand the dockmaster 75 bucks to pick them up and then another 75 to drop them, up, drop them off. And I'm like, um, no, like, that's stupid. Well, that's the, the, the thing I'd say about that is that's like you paying for the paywall for the subscription. And I agree, that's not right, but that's what is being asked here. I, I don't know. Rod, we're all, and I think this is this is where it really is hard. It's big legislative change. Google are trying to get on the front foot with seven. Google do not want to pay this. They want to be the masters. And look, I don't think Google's behavior during all this has been fantastic. And I can see a lot of frustration. But Give us your verdict and, and maybe there's some insight. Here. Yeah, look, look, look I, I can see both sides of it, but I think Google has to contribute something because let, let, let's, well, let, let's, let's assume that with Google, if they cut all the news media outlets off, so let's, let's say um, 
say Fairfax News Limited, say they all died off and the journalists went with them, what would Google do then? Would Google set up their own news service? So it, I, I guess what I'm saying is the, the thing I think about with this, and there are alternative platforms out there whereby you're basically cutting out the middlemen, where there, there is, I know of one Australian entity whereby they're trying to set up a model whereby journos will write their story, create their story, they'll get it syndicated and the money will go straight back to the journos. And so instead of a media organisation or media content, or news content in particular, instead of it going with a huge monstrosity like a Fairfax and they've got all these journos, it's like cut them out. It's like here's a, if you're a freelance journo somewhere, you write a good enough story. If it goes out to enough platforms, they will monetize it straight back to you. So that sort of model or, as I say, if the Fairfaxes of the world died off, would Google set up their own huge news organisation? You know, what, good what, what question. I'm, what I'm nobody is... wants to see the death of news in this country. Please, no. I am not advocating yeah. that at all. Uh, yeah. Absolutely not. I do not want to see television die. I, I want television to thrive. I want it to be a major employer. And I hate every time there are redundancies and cutbacks. I, I really want to see these businesses thrive and survive. But I don't know... Where is everyone coming from? That Google must be punished for being a smart business model? I don't think they should be punished. They, they should contribute something, I, I think. Well, they uh, should uh, pay that... tax. That's what I'd say. They should be paying tax. And we know they're not doing that here. And that is a major issue. That, to me, is the key issue. Get the tax from Google. Yeah. And then if you want Australian stories told, put some money into the Australian media. You know, we do that through the ABC and we have cut our broadcasting licences and things like that. This is smart. This is what we need to do if we want Australian stories by Australian voices. The um, In the US, though, Google has been getting in so much trouble lately for um, being very selective on what you can search for and throttling some responses and some things and they're... they're being accused of being very left-leaning. So maybe they do want to shut down media and have their own news because then it would, you know, always be to their liking. I know that's very conspiracy theory, but... Well, there is also <laughs> the idea that they're shutting down things that are just complete lies, you know, like, but who is the arbitrator of the lies and the truth? That's a whole other argument, Sarah. Let's not go down that rabbit <laughs> hole today. <laughs> so my understanding of it is if Rob McKnight creates an entertainment page and doesn't put sort of any original content in there but has links to all these different, you know, go to this place, go to this place and... But you're making a lot of money off the advertising of that website to send people. Should you not be giving some money to all of those people that you sent? That's that's the kind of way that I've 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 got it in my head. So so Google aren't doing any original content, but but they're making money off advertising, and and they're not sending any money to, to the news outlets. That that's what I thought. Yeah, but. Australia's biggest websites repurpose stories they found from other elsewhere, you know, yeah. news.com.au, uh, the Daily Mail all get stories from different websites around. The, now, having said that, they rewrite the stories for sure and Daily Mail always gives credit. News.com.au a lot of the time gives credit. Um, they're making money. I don't know. Uh, there are websites that aggregate for sure. There are websites that aggregate and make money. But they're sort of a hybrid. They write some original stories, they get content from there. But Google is just sending people to websites and making millions and millions of dollars out of it but not giving any money to those people. Well, they are giving money because they're sending them to those websites where you can have a paywall or advertising. 
And what about when you're paying Google as an ad to have people go to your website? Is that double dipping? Effectively, yeah. Well, <laughs> in some ways, yes. But isn't that smart business? We're now punishing businesses that succeed. I don't know, it's an interesting one. All right, let's move on. And many have been speculating about when and how we would see the return of Australian Survivor. And it's finally been confirmed that the next series is set to take place in northwest Queensland in a town called Cloncurry. Although left without a choice, they had to film locally due to this COVID-19 pandemic, it's a bit of a bonus for Tan as they will receive $3.9 million in government funding under the location incentive. TV Black Box can also reveal production on the series is set to run for 15 weeks from March until June. So we should expect to see the next series in the back half of the year. Now, this is interesting to me, Sarah, because this series was always going to be filmed locally with the COVID-19 pandemic. But the federal government have a incentive program. They've got $400 million to spend on getting productions to shoot locally. So 10 are getting that. They're getting $3.9 million. Fantastic for 10. But should the government be spending money on a production that was going to film in Australia anyway as a way of incentivising them to film in Australia? I guess if you look at it for long-term purposes, um, maybe even if they had to film here this year, they could then choose when COVID's over to film somewhere else. And if oh, now see, but that's the thing. Next year or the year after, when they're set to go back to Fiji or some other place, that's the time to use the money and say, no, we'll give you the money to shoot here. But when maybe, they're stuck here... Maybe if they're giving them the money, it inspires them that maybe we could film at home. Maybe because they weren't thinking about that before. They're like, let's film at home, let's get some incentive. And people enjoy it, everyone gets work, and then the next year it follows through and people do it at home. And if the government's got all this money to spend anyway and they're going to just, you know, spend it or lose it, then I guess it's better to give it to someone... Because, I mean, Survivor could have just chosen not to film at all, right? I don't think that was ever an option. Like, uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I think they were going to film anyway. Rod, what are your thoughts on this? Look, I think it's good, uh, especially when we've got a, a, a right-wing government in, in at the moment who love cutting funding to the arts and any sort of production. I think it's good you know, to see any money going into production. Um, however, I, I look at the core of what Australian Survivor is. It shouldn't be exotic locations. Like, yeah, it's great that it's going into production and the production values are great, you know, excellent for a local production but it's like again it's like the amazing race you know there's not that much amazing about racing around the gold coast and townsville and similarly with survivor it's not that much of an exotic location and, and but it's exotic that, enough for other people because mm. like the english people always film all their tv shows in australia so it's obviously exotic to somebody yeah, but you know, again, this is an Australian audience. Uh, Clon yeah. Curry ain't that exotic to me. Um, you know, <laughs> but look, I will say, Survivor is a brilliant production that is set in one specific location, isn't travelling around. Uh, the pictures I've seen of Clon Curry, it is not what you would expect from an outback town. So there's rivers and and you know there's bushland. So they get their river shots and all that kind of stuff. Survivor to me is a bit different. It's more about the interaction the double um you know crossing and all that kind of stuff so that doesn't bother me but aaron it comes back to we're funding something that was doing what you're funding them to do anyway yeah it, that makes sense I, I think in the end though um having some money in there to boost jobs tourism it's going to actually bring a lot a lot to the town and to australia so 
I don't have a major issue with that. But breaking news, if they spend $800,000 on Bo's um, thing, the $3.9 million is probably going towards the parley as well. And look, I want to be clear, not having a go at Channel 10, they're using the system and all power to them. You know, like every network, any business has the right to use government funding if they can get it and make use of what initiatives are out there. So no ill will there. I mean, Screen Australia gives money to people to film movies. It's really no different to me, except this way Australians get to see parts of Australia that maybe they've never thought of travelling to and maybe they become tourists in their own country instead of always wanting to go overseas. That's the exact example I was going to use, Sarah. Yeah, Screen Australia give out money for Australian productions all the time that were going to be filmed in Australia, all those sort of ABC shows that, you know, that received um, or and 7, 9 and 10 that received money from the government anyway. So I don't see this being any, any different. Fair enough. All right. Now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Charisma Carpenter has accused the show's creator, Joss Whedon, of fostering a hostile and toxic work environment. His alleged behaviour includes threats, body shaming and firing her after she had a baby. The claims have been corroborated by other cast members. With the return of an all-star season of Dancing with the Stars, Home and Away actress Ada Nicodemo has been confirmed to join the lineup. Ada and her dancing partner Eric originally won the show in 2005. Seven in Adelaide is fighting hard in the ratings battle against Nine, announcing a new live and local morning bulletin at 11.30am weekdays. The 30-minute bulletin will cover local news as well as news across the country. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans were sad to hear the news of the show ending after its eighth season. While a specific reason has not been given, creators and cast of the show have spoken in the past about challenges to balance the issue of police brutality on a comedy show. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. Coming up, we'll open the TV binge box and find out what everyone's been watching this week. And we'll also hear from Normie Rowe with a new twist on that infamous punch-up from 1991 on The Midday Show. You're listening to TV Black Box. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. These interviews are a little different. Let's go for it. Let's cut some throats. And they are very, (laughs) very honest. And I do believe that that was the real beginning of us breaking up. It's a celebration of media with tall tales you have to hear to believe. Simon used to fly up into a rage. Join media executive Rob McKnight for a brand new podcast where you never know what will be revealed next. McKnight Tonight, part of the TV Black Box podcast feed. Well, 
it was one of the most famous moments of live television in Australia. The punch-up between Normie Rowe and Ron Casey on the Midday Show was certainly one for the history books. I spoke with Normie last night on the Ange Robin Robbo show and he told me how his PTSD from Vietnam played a big part in what happened. You'll hear from Normie in a moment, but first have a listen to what happened all those years ago in 1991. Interesting, Normie, you said you have, you know, I have no doubt people still talk about this. It was such an iconic moment on TV. And despite the fact it was the midday show, everybody thinks they saw that live. <laughs> when they should have been at school and work. <laughs> I got a I got a call from a friend of mine who was working ships in Norway and he said, I just saw you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but so, all over the world. It was amazing. It went, you know, it went to England and Europe and the United States and Canada and oh look. South America, all sorts of places that came back, reports that had been been on the local television screens. But, uh, you know, knowing what I know now, I would never have even put myself in that situation because I suffer with... Well, I don't suffer. I, I have a strategy to deal with my post-traumatic stress disorder, which seems to do, today to work... I don't put myself in stressful situations. I knew it was going to be stressful, and yet I still went ahead and uh, and turned up, you know, because Ron was had a he had a big name for for creating havoc on he, live he, television. He courted controversy. That's that was what he did, you know. Um, he it's, he it's, tipped it's, a glass of water or something. Uh, he threw a I glass recall. of water down in front of Yana Vent. Yana Vent, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, he, look, he he was an interesting man, I guess, you know, and he created that interest constantly by uh, by doing things out of just out of the square. It's interesting, though, uh, just before I let you go, I, I want to go back to something you said there that you've learnt with um, ways of dealing with your post-traumatic stress. Was that part of what played into that day, was it, that you were going oh, into a stressful situation, as you said, yeah. and then, you know, things came up. He was saying pretty outrageous things, and yeah. it was a lack of knowing how to deal with that when you were feeling all this stuff from being in Vietnam and everything that happened since. Tell me about that. I think, for me, it was much more about protecting my friends who don't have a platform, mm. uh, you know, and, and I've got maybe 50, 60,000 Vietnam veteran friends. Uh, probably a few hate me, but uh, still, you know, you can't please everybody. But I think, uh, uh, you know, if somebody says something that I think is totally derogatory and something unfair, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to stand up because I that's the place that I've put myself uh, ever since I came back. You know, I, if I was going to be in show business again, it wasn't going to be for the, the self-flagellation of the, the pop star, you know, where you go on stage purely and simply to get people to love you. 
I, I couldn't do that anymore. It had to be for something, something substantial. And and between that and trying to 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 uh, do stuff uh, charity wise for kids uh, with disabilities and and uh, disadvantages all over the world, sick kids, um, you know, it it made me, it gave me the license to uh, uh, to actually be in the business that I'm in. Well, Normie, I've got to say, I think you are a legend and I have really enjoyed this chat. Three Legends in Concert begins this weekend in Newcastle. Please don't miss this amazing show. If I was in Newcastle, I would be there. Head to threelegendsinconcert.com for information and tickets. Normie, thank you so much for being on the Andrew and Robbo Show. Rob, when you put that uh, logo up, it reminded me of the first time it came back, the LEG and the ENDS were separated. It just looked like three leg ends. Oh. <laughs> Norby, you're hilarious. I, I, please go and see this concert this weekend. Norby, thanks again. Thanks very much, Rob. See you at uh, the Civic Theatre in Newcastle. Really, really good guy. And that concert is really worth going to. Just go to threelegends.com. Let's move on. It's time for TV Binge Box, where we find out what everyone's been watching this week. Aaron, what's tickled your fancy? Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I've been watching Holy Moly. It's um, the grand final next week, and then they've got those two specials, the celebrity special and the parent and um, child sort of specials coming up, so I'll be watching those. Um, one show that just blows my brain is, is the Foxtel series The End you know, that's just started. I think it's inspired, you know, from the Ricky Gervais afterlife thing. It's just, it's crazy. I thought I was going to be watching a normal sort of Australian drama and it's it's way, way out there. It's all about, you know, the the, the, the nana in there just wants to kill herself constantly throughout the episode. It's just a, <laughs> it's, it's a random show. But anyway, the other one which I'm going to get no agreement on, but that's fine, is I've watched the first episode of Wife Swap and absolutely love it. It was it was actually really educational. It wasn't just, you know, a real housewives type thing. It was really educational. There was a real modern family, you know, with their kids and they're fit and they go to this really nice school. And then there was another family that were out, that live on a bus and actually were not getting educated at all. They weren't going to school. They weren't even doing homeschooling. And, you know, they obviously swapped lives. And at the end, I thought, obviously, the modern family would have been, you know, like the better family. But, I mean, the, the kids on the bus actually seem to have more love and more appreciation for life than than the other kids. You know, they were like, oh, we're going to an op shop. Oh, my God, that's so disgusting. I don't want to go in there. It was just like, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was actually really educational. So there you go, wife swap. Sarah, what about you? Um, we watched a little bit of Below Deck just because, um, you know, I've worked on a yacht and that's always fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're watching the Caribbean. I watch one. what I know. Yes. Well, because I can make fun of it and I can go, that's not accurate. That's totally accurate. Um, and then I also, we're still watching some really old school NCIS um, because like back in the, and like, I don't think we realized it back then, but you watch the old, like the first and the second series when Kate's in and Matt and I are constantly looking at each other going, did they just say that? Like that shit would never fly on television today because it's just so <laughs> double entendre and risque and like Tony is like the most whorebag man ever who would like in an instant today would be like charged with like sexual harassment. Um, and then leading from that is I was watching Bombshell 
when I had to stop watching the last like 20 minutes or so, so I could do the podcast. And um, that is fascinating. Mm, I've been meaning to watch that one. It's really good. What about you, Rod? Uh, well, I, I must admit, I've been uh, I've been watching a bit of the tennis. Not that I'm a massive tennis fan, but uh, as interesting as watching the, the the good tennis has been, Andy Lee and his Guess Whom, which I think is a wonderful promo Channel Nine's doing for the Channel 10's upcoming Star of the Cube. <laughs> just, I, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for Andy to go. Oh, be sure to watch the Cube. Oh, I'm on wrong network. I just I find that fascinating. <laughs> the crossover of the two networks, but between that, been watching. Your Honor um, on uh, Stan, uh, which if any of you guys seen that? No. Ah, fascinating. Uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? Uh, oh, Ryan Cranston. Yeah, no? Brian Cranston. Oh. Yeah, excellent series. It takes a while to get into the the, the, the real meaty bits of it, but uh, stick with it. And when I we've run out of episodes of that, yeah, it's below deck and uh, reruns of The Crown still. Oh, Never get sick of watching that. Love yeah, it's beautiful. Fair enough. I've got to tell you, the McKnight family is really obsessed with Superstore at the moment. We're all watching it in dribs and drabs and together and we're just we're just binging and obsessed with it. My 14-year-old daughter loves it as much as I do. Um, so that has taken up a lot of our time. I am seriously, if you have not watched WandaVision, get on it. Yeah, it is the best <laughs> show anywhere at this time. And knowing where it's going to go from week to week is just such a joy to see it unfold and, and really not being able to guess where it's going. So I would really strongly suggest that. And I've got to say there's something on Netflix that I haven't watched yet. I saw the promo for it on the Netflix screen and it's called Are You The One? And I went, what's this about? And it was pretty risque and the promo bit I saw and then – I Googled it quickly because I actually put it onto my list. I, I clicked the plus button and apparently it's this old MTV show that's been around for years. And, uh, yeah, it's on Netflix, but I intend to have a look at that because it looks a little bit different to the, the – I'll give you the bit I saw. They actually have to take parts of photos of any part of their body and the other sex have to guess which part goes with which person. <laughs> so it's a little bit more out there than The Bachelor, let's just say that. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Take a photo of your elbow. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. The elbow is absolutely the way to go. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this edition of TV Black Box. For more, go to tvblackbox.com.au where there are new stories every day and plenty of exclusive. Don't forget the Ange, Rob and Robbo show every Monday to Thursday at 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And you can find that at facebook.com slash the ARR show. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Aaron. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.